This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's Creature Feature, a spotlight on one of the Wildlife Hospital Dunedin's extra special guests. Well, not one of the extra special guests, but six this morning, talking with Jordana White from Wildlife Hospital Dunedin again this morning. Morena, good to have you with us, Jordana. Are you there, Jordana? Oh, yes, sorry, I'm here. You just disappeared for a second. Ooh, there, live there. radio. Hello. Okay, live radio. Um, yeah, look, six very special guests uh, recently with Wildlife Hospital Dunedin. Um, if anyone's seen any of the photos coming out of Wildlife Hospital Dunedin recently, you'll know what we're talking about. But, um, well, very special indeed, aren't they? Yes, uh, one of the rarest birds uh, in the world, I would say. Safe to say that. Um, it is, of course, the mighty cockapole. Uh, we have been blessed with and being able to take care of some chicks that needed a little bit of extra help during this breeding season. And I would absolutely, it would be my absolute pleasure to tell you a little bit more about them today because um, we've had them in the hospital for quite some time now and their personalities have really come out and they are just a joy to observe and to watch and to get to know a little bit better. What uh, brought them to you, Jordana? Uh, so it's been a range of things. So just, first of all, it's it's been a pretty strong breeding season. That's why, uh, of course, we have babies. Um, there's a big Rimu mast this year, and the, the Rimu fruit on the trees is what uh, sparked the big breeding season for Kakapo. There's just something that they know about the breeding, the, the Rimu mast that um, uh, sort of compels them to breed. And so they had 60 eggs hatched and 56 chicks surviving out of those 60. So pretty pretty strong season given that there's only, you know, just over 200 cockapo in the whole population. So this has potential to bump up the numbers by quite a lot. Um, but that said, when there's a big breeding season, there are also generally some incidents or some, some need for a little bit of extra help, and that's where we come in. Um, so we've had a, a number of them come in with either suspected or then once they come in confirmed aspergillosis, which I believe we have talked about before, Jeff, but I'll just remind you, um, it's a fungal disease. So it's uh, these fungal spores that are present in the natural environment all around us all of the time, including in your studio and including in my home office. Um, and out on the Kakapo Islands usually doesn't cause a problem, um, but when you get little tiny chicks that don't have full immune systems and they, there's an overabundance of spores in their environment, then they can um, fall victim to that disease. So we've had a number of them in with aspergillosis, all thankfully so far being successfully treated, which is great. Uh, and then we also had one that had a broken leg, which you'd think a teeny tiny chick wouldn't be able to uh, break its leg, but they have very, very soft bones at this age, and sometimes accidents happen in the nest. We're not sure exactly why um, she had a broken leg, how it happened, but uh, it's not a problem. We've been able to fix it. Um, yeah, and we just had one that had to come to us because uh, its mom was struggling a little bit to feed two chicks, and there wasn't a suitable foster nest for him to go into, so he came to us to be raised with the other chicks at the hospital. What sort of age were the chicks when they come to you? Uh, we had the one with the broken leg came in around 50 days. So she was a little bit older than the others. That um, Some of them came to us as the really, really tiny, fluffy gray ones uh, that can fit in the palm of your hand, essentially. So there's a bit of a range there. And now we're up, the oldest one is now up over 90 days. So getting, um, I guess, quite old and, and large in cockapoo chick terms. Um, and the biggest one we have at the moment is um, just around 2 kg, so getting actually getting up close to that adult weight. Um, 
but they still have, uh, all of them still have a little bit of their gray down chick fluff, which is so cute and, and quite a contrast to the really bright, beautiful green feathers that they have as adults. Nature is a wonderful thing. Um, these uh, small creatures are very well disguised. I know, I know that doesn't help in terms of some of the predators who are very onto it, but boy, oh boy, they really do um, uh, find themselves camouflaged very well against the forest floor, don't they? The way that they are protected by the natural way that their bodies grow and uh, the kind of mossy look that they have. Yeah, absolutely. It's even hard in the hospital. We have a huge pen for them, and then we fill it with browse, which is a bunch of branches and things for them to eat and to, to play in and hide and climb on, um, which they're learning how to do. They're not very graceful at it yet. Um, and it, it can actually be very difficult to spot them even in their enclosure. Just if they're in amongst it, in amongst the browse, it can be quite challenging. And you can imagine just out in, in the um in the, their natural environment in the forest that they would be impossible to find unless they were moving. And even then would be tricky to see if they're moving slowly. Um, and they, they are, I should say, they have this habit of, um, we call it pancaking. So it's when they're, they're, they're babies, so they just they sleep hard. And they just pancake, they just flop onto the floor and smoosh, they just look like flat, laid out. And if they're pancaked in amongst their brows, yeah, they can be tricky to see. Um, they're not a very dignified way of sleeping, but at this age, they're total, they're complete clowns. They don't, um, they're just very entertaining. They're clumsy. Uh, they don't know how to cockapool yet. They haven't learned that they're not, um, that, that they can't fly. <laughs> so they try, they try to use their wings and slap them around and think, okay, this is it. I'm going to take off. It's my first flight. And they, they don't make it very far, and it's very endearing and sweet. Um, and they will learn how to be cockapole. It's all part of their development. Um, but, yes, it's this, this – uh, you know, I think a lot of human parents can probably sympathize with, you know, when they're teeny tiny, so when they first came to us as little fluffy things, they're completely helpless. They're totally reliant on their carers. Uh, they don't do much. You know, they sleep, they eat, they poop, uh, and that's about it. And they it's it's a pretty – intense time for the vet team they you know that's that's a, a, a we're always well aware it's a very precious and rare bird um so you take extra extra care with them uh, and now we're at the stage where we can relax a little bit more the care is a little bit easier they're starting to get weaned off of their tube feeding and now we can just enjoy them uh and get to know their personalities which has, has been great and there's there is a range um we do have we do have a, i do have a few things i like to point out about some of them um, we have one called Evoe A1, which, just a quick note on the name, Evoe is actually the name of his mother, and then A1 refers to which clutch and which egg he was. So he won't, none of them will get official names until they're about 150 days old, so not until probably about August for most of them. Um, and he was afraid of everything, which is, it was hard for me to imagine that in a cockpit until I saw it. So the vet team told me that he's going to freak out every time you walk into the room. He jumps like he's got just, you know, really, <laughs> he's really nervy. And anytime any, you know, any of the others would, you know, do something, he's, ugh, ugh, what's that? And just very nervous. Um, and I, yeah, I've not seen that in a cockpit before, but he certainly has relaxed. He's a lot calmer now and which is great. Um, he's definitely used to the environment. He's, he's used to the movements of people and, and other cockpit and he um, now will follow everybody around like a puppy. So if you go into the pen and you're walking around, you know, tidying up towels or changing out brows, he, you will have a shadow. Like he will be right behind you. Um, so he's obviously lost his fear of of, I don't know, of everything. I guess <laughs> it's great. 
Um, and we have another one, which I think is just, this is my, I think my, probably my favorite characteristic. It's um, Marion A1, which is a female chick. She's the one that came to us with the, the broken leg. And she's, first of all, she's beautiful. She's an absolute stunner, which is probably easy to say about all of them. Um, but my favorite thing about her is that she seems really nurturing and really caring about the other chicks. So she's she's really sweet with them, and she she'll she's calm, and she will, she likes to preen the other ones. She likes to to groom them and and clean them, which must be quite relaxing for the other um, chicks, and probably similar to what they might experience in the nest with their mothers. Uh, and when we've had some new chicks come into the hospital um, to be checked for aspergillosis or a health check or there's some other issue, you know they're not used to being in the hospital environment, and she sort of literally and figuratively takes them under her wing and she shows them around. She gives them company. She's a calming influence. So I'd like to think that someday she's going to go on to, to breed as well and that she's going to be a, a really fantastic mom to other to her chicks. Oh, nice to hear. That's yeah, G- lovely to see. Jordana, is there any risk with chicks um, so young spending this amount of time with humans that they that they they uh, aren't all like the one chick that you mentioned who has a, a we'll call it a healthy fear of uh, the unknown, that they get a little bit too familiar? So there always is a worry about habituation with any animal that we have long-term in the hospital. And that is that is true of cockapoo. They they can, like if, you know, of course, everybody knows famous Sirocco, who's the cockapoo ambassador who has a real liking for humans. He's an example of what we're we're trying to avoid in terms of habituation. We we want them to be cockable. We want them to you know only really want to de- desire to interact with other cockable, even though they don't really do that much on the islands. Uh, and one way of doing that is making sure that they are with other chicks. So the majority of the time they're only with the other chicks. You know we only move in and out of the room as necessary. Um, and the that's the, so I mentioned earlier we had a chick that came to us who um, di- who needed a place to go, didn't have a foster nest to go into with another chick, and that's why it came to us. So it could have been hand-reared out on the, uh, on the island with a carer, but because there were no other chicks that were being hand-reared, that's a situation where you could get habituation. So you don't want that. Now, the good news is with the, the way the cockpool recovery team has designed all of the hand-rearing, the whole process, the whole technique, means that when they go back out onto the island for their soft release, that's when they, that's when they, it's kind of like boot camp for these chicks where they really learn how to be cockapoo. They learn how to be outside. They learn how to forage on their own. They learn how to, how to tuck themselves up under a bush when it's raining because right now they don't know how to do that since they're inside. And they will, they will lose that interest in humans and that experience with humans for the most part. The only difference would be is there is some intentional training around being handled because at least once a year, these birds will all have to be handled even when they're back out into the wild. Mm-hmm. So they get health checks and they get, they get um, transmitter changes. So we do try to just once in a while pick them up, hold them like they would be held during a health check, and then put them down. So they start learning that actually being picked up and held by a human is not the most terrible thing in the world. You mentioned that it was a pretty successful season in terms of uh, the the numbers. Um, what's the kind of projected attrition rate you'd expect to lose some of them um, for various reasons? So yeah, the, the four of them have already died for various reasons. Of the sixty, there are fifty six still alive. Uh, they've they've made it pretty far. Like I said, some of them are over ninety days at this point, which is quite good. Um, 
yeah, things happen. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if a few more did die, unfortunately. Um, but I would say there. I would. I mean, I don't. I guess I can't predict it because the, the it could be an aspergillosis outbreak on another one of the islands. Um, lots of things could happen, but. So far, looking pretty good for 50 plus being added to the population once they hit 150 days, which is an absolutely fantastic result. And that won't happen in every year, will it? Because uh, we don't have a mass season every year. Yes, there are. There is often some breeding in off mass years um, on some of the uh, not main islands. There are a few cockapoo islands out and about. I think Maud Island is one um, up north, and they they may breed just in the sort of off-mass seasons, but they're not managed. So that's just sort of a natural breeding thing. They, they're hands-off with those chicks. Uh, it's these mass years that they really focus on. When it comes time for them to graduate out of the hospital, I mean, uh, what's that? Do you have timelines that you'd expect that to happen for each of them that are, that are different timelines, or do they graduate en masse and you get to, to relocate a few at a time? It'll be, it will be uh, just on an individual basis. So we've had we've had one that came to us to be checked for aspergillosis and was cleared. So he was discharged when there was another um, chick for him to go into a soft release pen with. Um, and then we had uh, the one that came to us because there wasn't one that it could be raised with. He's also been he's also been discharged. So we'll just it's it's a, a threading needle a little bit. So we don't want them to be in hospital any longer than they need to. But the conditions have to be right on the other end with the soft release pens. Um, but the um, the one with the broken leg, Marion A1, she should be ready to go pretty soon, I think. Um, and I think also um, our other female was Aparima A2. She's doing really, really well in her aspergillosis recovery, and we think she might be ready to go soon as well. Uh, ideally, those two would go together uh, if the timing is right, so that they can continue out their continue their friendship, I guess, on the island um, in the soft release pens together, since they're used to being together. And then we'd be just left with four boys, and we'll just see how it goes with them. As they're progressing well, then, yeah, great. They can go out when they're ready. Well, it's wonderful to hear that it's been such a successful breeding season. Um, I ask you this every time, but it's an important question. What can we do to help support uh, the continuing and prospering population of Kakapo in our country? I would say the main thing for this particular species at the moment is if you if you do have the ability to uh, donate money to the wildlife hospital or to Kakapo Recovery, it's probably the best thing you can do for this particular species just because they are so um, isolated and managed on offshore islands. You know, there aren't any local projects um, specific to Kakapo, obviously, because we don't have them here. Um, but I, I'm probably going to just sound very repetitive because I also say get involved in predator work. Uh, I know it's it's hard to think about, but in, in the long term, we we maybe could have cockapoo back in parts of New Zealand if we get our predator control taken care of. So it's it's a it's a long game. Uh, it's a it's a big, hairy, audacious goal, but I believe we can meet it if everybody pitches in. Fantastic. Well, Jordana, Jordana, thank you for um, joining us again this morning for our creature feature. Thanks to you and the team at Wildlife Hospital Dunedin for all the fantastic work that you're look, doing, looking after these kakapo chicks and all the many other creatures that come your way. We look forward to catching up with you again in four weeks' time. Thanks. Always a pleasure. The Wildlife Hospital Dunedin treats sick and injured native New Zealand species right here in the heart of Aotearoa's wildlife capital. Their expert veterinary team patches up more than 500 patients every year, returning the majority of them back to the wild where they belong. You can learn more about the hospital, including ways to support this charitable trust, at wildlifehospitaldunedin.org. 
www.creaturecreatures.co.nz or follow their Facebook page for more fabulous creature content. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.